our scripture reading is from Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. This is the word of the Lord. Anyone in here enjoy a good spy movie? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. All right, cool. Um, 007, what's the names of those? Is that the name of those movies? I don't really know. James Bond, all right. Any other good ones? I was, that was the next one I was going to say. So, Spy Kids, any of you kids like Spy Kids? Isn't there like one, two, and three? Jason Bourne, all right, yeah, that's the, the Bourne series, that's a good one. I've never really, I guess I did like the Bourne series, that was, that was good, that was a while back, but um, I've never really like loved spy movies, but I feel like the older I've gotten, the more I do appreciate good stories from history, especially about a uh, good espionage, you know, just mission. And a good spy story will include things like um, deceitful tactics, close calls with getting caught. Um, There's always some shady characters, I feel like, maybe some under-the-table deals, um, and decisions that could affect entire nations. This morning, during our time together, we are going to look at the life of a woman named Rahab, whose story is presented presented to us honestly in the scriptures. She is a foreign sex worker who comes across two spies that are sent to her land from the people of God. And it is through this unlikely hero named Rahab, placed right in the middle of this espionage mission, that we are reminded of the truths about God saving and sending ones that you might least expect. Are we good? I feel like there's a lot happening. Is, I thought somebody was waving at me. Oh, they are. Yeah, click that uh, preaching lights at the very bottom. See what happens. All right, now go back to the other one and make sure they don't go off. All right. Yeah, there we go. All right. Good morning. So Now there's lights. So awesome. I should have caught that. Um, I knew there was some stuff happening. So <laughs> um, yeah, so good morning. There we go. That, uh, good morning, church. Welcome to this gathering. Uh, if I've not been able to meet you yet, my name is Joel McCarty. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at New Eden. Uh, my hope is that you are encouraged by your time with us today. And most importantly, I want that to come through us fixing our eyes together on Jesus. Everything that we do is meant to point us to the beauty of Christ and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It is what we commonly call the gospel, as Paul described it in his uh, epistle. So today, as you see, we are starting a new summer series called Witness. And so this is kind of like a sub-series. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for a while. And so we are over the summer just going to zoom in to chapter 11. We kind of introduced it last week. And we're going to take six of the next eight weeks and we're going to look at different characters that are listed in the Hall of Faith, or as I spontaneously titled it last week, the Hall of Failures. Um, because it's a bunch of people that made mistakes, but through their faith, they were justified and point us to Christ. And so our goal with this series, week after week, is yes, we're looking at some amazing characters who have some amazing stories, but ultimately we wanna do what the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is doing for us, which is driving us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So that's what this series is gonna be about. And as I mentioned today, we're looking at Rahab. Um, She is listed in Hebrews 11, as you just heard read, as doing two different things by faith. That first, she welcomed the Israelite spies in peace. And then secondly, that they did not perish as those who disobeyed. 
Um, She's also mentioned in James chapter two. If you've ever read James, it's right after Hebrews. Um, We're told there that her faith was proven to be true or justified through her actions of hiding the Israelite spies and helping them escape undetected. She is this amazing woman who is listed in Hebrews 11 alongside the likes of Daniel and Abraham and Moses. And I think that you'll find today that her story is quite incredible. Uh, Most of her story is recorded for us in the book of Joshua chapter two. And so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna read through that text. It's about 21 verses. We'll get into her story. And then we're going to just spend a little bit of time pointing out some things from her story. And then I just have two truths about God that we learn from her story that we'll close with. So let's read the story from Joshua chapter two, verse one. We will have the text on the screen. I'll be reading out of the CSB. Um, You can also follow along however you'd like on your phone or in your copy of the scriptures. So Joshua chapter two, verse one. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I don't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return afterward. Go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied. And she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. This is the word of the Lord. 
So here's the quick context of this story. If you remember the the history of Israel, God had redeemed the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he promised them that they would receive a land of peace. And this story is a part of that conquest. The entire book of Joshua is. So from history and the Bible, we know that many cities in the ancient Near East were full of injustice, full of evil, full of sin and brutality. And this story of conquest is one of those times recorded for us when the judgment on sin that is to come kind of bursts forth into the present in this heightened manner. We, we see it in the flood. We see it through some of these stories in Joshua. And Joshua, as Israel's leader, is sending spies out to the influential city of Jericho, the land of Canaan, to go scout out the land. If you remember the story of Israel, you might remember this isn't the first time that spies were sent to scout the land of Canaan. Years before, under the direction of Moses, there were 12 spies that had went to scout the land of Canaan, and only two of them believed that God would give them the land. One of those two that believed was Joshua, who after Moses' death became the leader of the nation of Israel. As discipline for their disobedience, the first time, the children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were now back on the cusp of claiming more of this land that God had promised them. And so we get this story about two spies in Joshua chapter two that is kind of a redemption story, so to speak. We're told that they get to the city of Jericho and most likely to avoid detection, they stop where many travelers stopped at the house of the prostitute. Some have speculated that Rahab was no more than an innkeeper, but the language of the the Hebrew text is pretty clear. She was a sex worker. The Bible does not try to hide this fact of her whoredom employment. It is meant intentionally to be a bit shocking for us. From everything we can tell, the two Israelite spies are not there to seek out sex. They are there to just seek out cover. And so that seems to be what's going on. But we find that when they arrive, whether they knew it or not, God had been sovereignly working ahead of them. And and we see that because after their interaction with Rahab, they just go back. They don't do much scouting of the land. It was like, yes, they were sent there to scout the land, but God had another plan and another purpose. We see not only that God was sovereignly working in their lives, but also in the heart of Rahab before they ever even get there. According to Rahab's testimony to the spies that we see recorded, the city of Jericho was already on high alert. So it makes sense that the king heard that the Israelite men had come to scout out the land. And so the king's men come to Rahab and they demand to know the whereabouts of these two Israelite men. But as we read, Rahab is shrewd and sends the king's men in the wrong direction. The language that the king's men use in the text insinuates that they they believe that the Israelite men had come there to have relations with Rahab or other prostitutes that might've lived there. And she actually allows them to think that. She doesn't try to clarify anything. She uses it to her advantage. And she just kind of played dumb, you know, plays dumb about their real identity. Now, many have opined as to whether or not it was okay for Rahab to lie here. The problem with that, this story is not trying to answer the question on when in the ethics of lying and the morality of it. That's, that we're asking questions of the story that it's not meant to answer. It was what was necessary for her in the moment. And what the scriptures highlight all throughout has nothing to do with her lying or not. It has to do with the fact that her faith led her to do something amazingly bold and daring. 
Not lying in this situation would have been the easy choice. For her to boldly deceive the king's men, if she were to be found out, it was death. She was done for. She was literally staking her life on the belief that the God of Israel was the one true king and that what he wanted was more important than what the earthly king wanted. She gives a a beautiful testimony of her belief in the God of Israel. So after she sends the king's men away, most likely heart pounding, nerves racing, like in any good spy story, she goes back to the Israelite spies and she makes that bold, faith-filled declaration about the identity of Israel's one true God. And, and apparently she already knew that the city was on high alert, so she had hid them. And the way the roofs were, they could do that. And so now she uses her location. She lived in the city wall. The walls were huge and wide, and a lot of people lived in the walls. And she lets them down by a rope. But in return, she asks for her life to be spared and the lives of those she loves. And the spies promise her that if you will leave a scarlet cord hanging out of the roof, to designate out of the window, to designate which house is yours, and everybody that is in your house will be saved. It kind of reminds us of the story of Noah and the ark. Some historians have assumed that the scarlet cord um, would would have maybe been placed on her door before this to, to signify that this was a house of prostitution. Maybe it was that she was a worker of dye on the side as well, and scarlet was her specialty. We don't know for sure, We do know that she had enough faith to obey and that God was faithful to deliver on his word that was given to her through the spies. Because later in chapter six, we read about the destruction of the city of Jericho, but the house of Rahab is spared and all those who were with her through her faith in God. And that even to the time this was recorded for us, that her lineage was still living with the house of Israel as a part of the people of God. The story of Rahab is a a beautiful and inspiring story of redemption. This is a lowly outsider, a foreign Gentile woman who is a prostitute, a whore. She had no business being in Hebrews chapter 11 as an example of faith. But she stands for us as a picture of hope, a picture of redemption and salvation by faith alone, through grace alone in God's work. No matter your place of birth, no matter if you were born in the right country or you have the right ethnicity or your past and your sins. And so there's two truths I wanna point out that we learned from Rahab's story. The first of which is this, God saves sinners and outsiders. God saves sinners and outsiders. There there was no question who Rahab was. Even in the New Testament, every time but one that she is spoken of, she is referred to as Rahab the prostitute. And I'm like, can we give it a break, right? Like, gosh, that was thousands of years ago, and that's how she's remembered. But here's the thing. When you experience the salvation that she experienced, she would not have cared what you called her because that title and that label was no longer who she was. And in fact, her her former label stood as an ongoing reminder that God saves sinners. Her past only served to bear witness 
that were sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And this is a truth that we need to ongoingly be reminded of, that I need to be reminded of because sometimes I look at my past or I look at the past of others and I, I really wonder if God is actually powerful enough to deal with that sin and to give freedom from that sin. But while breath is in the lungs, no one is too far gone for God to redeem them. No matter what you have done, no matter what others have done to you, there is hope for redemption. And I love the picture we see here because Rahab loses her, her home of Jericho by her daring faith, but she gains within the people of God a place of honor and belonging. And so too should sinners find a home and a place of belonging within God's people, the church. That is why we work and desire to create and cultivate a safe place for sin to be confessed, for brokenness to be on display, no matter how shocking and messy it may get. And it does get messy and shocking sometimes. So Rahab's sin was one shocking thing about this story. God does save sinners, but the other was this. She was an outsider. Like, like if you're telling a story about the, the history of Israel, you don't include Rahab as a hero. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a Gentile. We see in this story, God's heart for the nations and the constant drumbeat of the scriptures reveals God's heart for salvation among all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues and cultures. And, and we see this more explicitly in the New Testament, but it doesn't start there. Zoom back out and you'll see it all the way in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures as well. Even in the law that was given, Israel is told to remember the sojourner and foreigner among you because you too were once sojourners in the land of Egypt. And this idea continues into the life of Jesus. Like if you look at the way Jesus lived and the way he talked, the ethics of God's kingdom that he lived by, it invited all types of people in. And there were a lot of labels that kept people on the outside in the day of Jesus. They might've been ostracized because of, of their gender or maybe their ethnicity, or maybe they had a physical disability, but it didn't matter. These are people that Jesus intentionally invited to the table through parables and stories that Jesus told. Sometimes through explicit commands, he taught his followers that when you go throw a party, go invite the outsider, go invite the poor, the disabled, those who others had discarded and ignored and were a burden to be there, the outsiders of the day. And this is why the church is not only a safe place for sinners, but also a place for outsiders to find a home. And this is important because we have to take the truths of God's word and allow them to sink into our lives and begin to change us through the work of the spirit. There is no room following the way of Jesus to discriminate and treat someone poorly or talk in demeaning ways toward outsiders who live among us, maybe cultures we don't understand, whether that be across the street or around the world. And we don't get a pass because of their immigration status. Like this is clear biblical truth. Right, And you can have an idea about how the government should govern, but we cannot allow any of that to get in the way of us loving our neighbor. 
And so, so I have to be reminded about this, degrading comments about people's ethnicity or the way they were raised on all different sides or maybe, maybe mental and physical disability. And it can be sometimes about a specific individual. I think we're probably most guilty of just kind of doing it about an entire group of people. And, and what happens is when these comments are made in conversations or around the dinner table, it lets people know, it sends signals that, that I'm not welcome here. And, and the reality is what we're telling people is that Jesus and his church doesn't have a place for you. And so we have to be mindful of that, myself included. And, and, and we don't get a pass either because it's just the way politics are in our world. And if we wanna win, that's how we gotta engage. Who cares if you win an election and you lose your soul? And so, so my hope is that if we're not careful, we become the opposite of what the church should be. We don't wanna become a monolithic echo chamber where the only people we welcome the doors in is people that make us comfortable because their past is clean enough or they agree with us on enough things. And so what we should be doing is clearing the way and removing as many barriers as possible to make the church a place where people that society has excluded can belong. Like that's the way of Jesus. So we as the church wanna lead the way in that. And, and that can be in a lot of different areas, right? We're, we're processing through what it means to, to help people you know, who have some disabilities to, to find a place and remove barriers. Let's see what that looks like. And, and what's interesting, if you look at the life of Jesus, in his incarnation, Jesus actually became an outsider. He left his throne in glory to assume a human form and live as a sojourner in a world that was deeply marred by human sin. And he lived with intentionality. He dined with sinners and prostitutes. It's very explicit. Foreigners, outsiders, look at the disciples Jesus called. That was intentional, like super radically different people. And somehow they find a home in the presence of Jesus that they said there's something, and they didn't even always grasp it. I mean, it was years that they're still mishearing what Jesus is saying, but there was something about them that said, this is a place where I can belong. What Rahab foreshadowed years before comes into full focus through the life of Christ. And it's, it's this radical message of life for all, open to everyone, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your past and what you've done, it is this message that ultimately got him killed because the powers that be didn't like it. And he willingly went to the cross though because he was willing for his own body to be destroyed if it meant salvation for all who believed. Like the people of Jericho, all of us have iniquity in our hearts. And we actually deserve what Jericho received. That wasn't unjust. We all deserve destruction because of the way that we have chosen. But through the blood of Jesus, his scarlet blood dripping off the cross, we are offered redemption and salvation because ultimately we are actually all the sinners and the outsiders that need a home. And just as all those who took refuge in the house of Rahab received life, so too do all those who take refuge in the cross of Christ find life abundant. And think about the shame and reproach and the trust that her family had to have to go into the prostitute's house. They were willing to bear the shame and reproach. But when the walls of Jericho fell and what was left was the house of Rahab, they found honor and vindication. And so too do we bear the shame and reproach of Christ. It doesn't make sense to the world. 
It doesn't make sense to give up everything and and follow Jesus and lay down your life and lose it so you can find it. But we also receive vindication and honor as Jesus wins the victory and gets back up from the grave, defeating sin and the enemy. This is the hope. Just as Rahab and her house were saved through faith alone, so are all who put their trust in the good news of Jesus. You can't earn this. This is why we say every week, it's the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we all need. And the beauty is this same king will return to fix the mess. And in the final kingdom, there will be no outsiders. There will be no more labels except washed white in the blood of the lamb. We all have a seat at the table and it is this new people that God is creating made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Everyone has a place prepared for them. And so the place of peace that Israel was promised, and ironically, I think at its height, they only ever gained 10% of the, the physical land because it was pointing to the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and earth where everyone will belong. No more mocking, no more shame. The blind will see, the lame will leap. There will be no more physical or mental shortcomings and struggles because we will be fully resurrected, body, mind, and soul. Truly, God saves sinners and outsiders. But I love this because he doesn't just save us. And as we wait for his return, he actually invites us into his story and he also sends sinners and outsiders. This is the second thing we see. God sends sinners and outsiders. You don't just get a backseat in the door like, all right, we're embarrassed of this dude over here. Like, yeah, we'll let you in the kingdom, but chill back here. I've got some some superstars over here I wanna lead the way. What's crazy about this whole story of Rahab is from a worldly perspective, she was a nobody. Discarded, distrusted, probably running to prostitution because that's all she can do to survive. Maybe she had been divorced and in this culture, there was no other way. And, And what's crazy is she is not someone who would be the hero of any story you're trying to write unless God is the author. And her story is given to us to remind us of how God saves. She is used to bear witness to God's redemptive power. This is what God does. The scarlet thread protecting her house and those within is is meant to intentionally remind us of the Passover story when the, the blood on the doorpost caused the angel of death to pass over the house. She's a part of this tradition of God's salvation. We're also reminded of a woman named Tamar. She was another bold and courageous woman who played the prostitute, but found herself used to bear forth the seed of Jesus, the Messiah. And even these prostitutes being redeemed are pictures of the nation of Israel who is later called a whore because they go chasing after other gods, but God still redeems them and uses them. And then it's a picture of all of us who have maybe not physically engaged in that, but we have spiritually engaged in cheating on God with other gods and idols. And her life is used to testify of God's grace to the world. See, Rahab is not only mentioned in Hebrews and James, we also hear her name mentioned in Matthew chapter one. When Rahab was rescued in the story in Joshua, she was, still had to dwell outside the camp because she was a Gentile. But here in Matthew Rahab finds herself smack dab in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus, the incarnate Messiah who came to save the world. 
God doesn't just save her, he uses her. She is a Gentile outsider prostitute and she gives birth to Boaz, who then marries Ruth, who's another Gentile outsider, ironically making their son one quarter Israelite, which tells you that the seed of Christ is not about physical ethnicity. That's not the point. And Rahab becomes the great, 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 if my math is right, grandmother to King David, the forerunner to the ultimate King Jesus. And so you follow Matthew 1 and it ends with the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. This is not how you tell a story of a coming king if you're making it up. You would present Jesus as coming from a pure line with a bunch of noble people not full of a bunch of prostitutes like Tamar and Rahab and Moabite outsiders like Ruth, who's a little fishy the way she even married Boaz. But this is the way of God's kingdom. Everyone is invited in. And God not only invites them in, but he sends them out as redemptive witnesses to the power of the gospel. Read the book of Acts if you want to see it continue. The gospel begins spreading through the most unlikely of people, men, women, young, old, all different nations, prophesying, bearing witness, and taking the gospel forth. This is why we care about going and sending both across the street from the neighborhoods all the way to the nations. And we don't go in a patronizing sort of way like you need us. The reality is we need each other. We go partnering arm in arm together. It's one of the reasons we're gathering with First Missionary Baptist. And join churches like that in our community. It's not just this like token type gesture and it's, it's gonna look good on the Instagram. Like that's not the point. Like we actually need them to accomplish the mission that God has given us to do. It is not just something that's optional. Like if you think a new Eden can, can do what God's doing and bring in a new Decatur one day, like that's ignorant and arrogant. We are not the church that's gonna figure that out finally. It takes the universal church of God together. And it's why we send people across the world to people that we might never meet. And that's sacrifice. We don't ever get to post those photos on Facebook. Like, but we say we'll send and we'll, we'll go because God's glory is most maximally realized when it's global and diverse, more people worshiping God. And here's the thing. He's gonna do it with or without you. Like the, the, the read Revelation, All nations, tribes, and tongues gathered around the throne. It's going to happen. The only question is whether or not you want to be a part. The invitation is open to all because at the end of the day, in one way or another, we're all sinners and outsiders. And so this is why this is good news because I've said this before, but who else to go preach to a bunch of sinners and outsiders as there's room at the cross than a bunch of sinners and outsiders who actually found that there was room at the cross? And so as we, and this all comes by faith alone, right? It is, it is through believing in the work of Christ. And then we join Rahab and a long line of others who by faith find our name in, yes, the hall of once failures, but now turned into faithful saints through the work of the gospel. And so with your life, no matter labels that you've once held, and that the world might still remember you by and might record your name down as, in spite of all of that and even through all of that, we bear a powerful witness to the redemptive work of Jesus. He is the pioneer. He started it. He is the perfecter, the completer, the finisher. He'll finish it. And so all of this story of Rahab drives us to fix our eyes on this high and humble king 
This one who saves sinners and outsiders and then sends them out as a part of his mission.